Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Scott Schaefer, in for Alexis Madrigal. Ballots have landed in mailboxes across California. Now comes the hard part, figuring out what all the state and local ballot measures mean, and then deciding how to vote. This hour, the KQED politics team has you covered. Marisa Lagos, Guy Marzarati, and Joe Fitzgerald Rodriguez are all here. We'll dive into the most interesting items on Bay Area ballots. In Oakland and San Jose, voters are choosing a new mayor. In San Francisco, a new DA is up for election. A former member of the school board who voters recalled this year wants her job back. That plus statewide propositions, lots to chew over. All that coming up next after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Scott Schaefer, KQED Politics Editor, and in today for Alexis Madrigal. And for much of this week, KQED's politics team is here flooding the zone with the election-related topics you'll need because if you've turned on your TV or radio lately, opened the mail, you must be aware that we are smack in the middle of election season here in California. Counties have mailed out their ballots with the state and local issues you're voting on, raising the question, Now what do I do? How do I distinguish between the candidates for mayor or DA? And what's with props 26 and 27? Is sports betting a good thing or not? What's at stake? And how to decipher the choices you need to make between now and November 8th? Joining me from the KQED politics team are politics correspondent Marisa Lagos. Good morning. Morning, Scott. Also with us, politics reporters Guy Marzarati joining us from San Jose and Joe Fitzgerald Rodriguez. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Well, let me begin, Marisa, with you. Uh, big picture. Uh, you know, every election has sort of a, a climate, if you will. Uh, what's the climate for this election three weeks out? Well, I think it depends on which side, which party you ask. But, I mean, certainly we've headed into this election year with Democrats kind of on their back foot. You know, a lot of concerns about the economy and inflation and gas prices, which are issues that Uh, Republicans are really hammering. But of course, there's also these sort of bigger other kind of cultural, social issues hanging over this. The Dobbs abortion decision striking down Roe v. Wade. Uh, President Trump, former President Trump, who can't seem to stay out of the limelight um, and, you know, questions over the sort of state of our democracy more broadly, the January 6th insurrection, the election deniers on the ballot around the country and some in the state. Um, and so I think that, you know, both parties are really trying to hone in on the issues that they think are going to help them convince voters. You know, again, on the Republican side, I think it's a lot about the economy and kind of are you doing better? How are you doing as a family? Um, and on the re- Democratic side, I think they're really sort of framing these questions on abortion and democracy around your freedom and your liberty and Are there other rights at risk? You know, we hear a lot of talk about young people being like the sort of first generation to actually lose rights in this country. Um, So I think that, you know, it's hard 
in a midterm election for it not to be a referendum on the president. But as we'll get into, once we get to the state and local level, there's a lot of sort of nuances that are different from that national climate. And Guy Marzardi, I know you pay a lot of attention to how people vote. Uh, and, of course, everyone should have a ballot now. We California mails a ballot to every registered voter um, and makes it pretty easy to vote. Um, when you have, you know, we don't have Election Day anymore. It's election season. It's election month, you know. And so how does that, do you think, change the dynamics either of campaigning uh, or of voting? Well, I think for campaigns, it moves earlier kind of the time frame in which they're targeting voters. And many campaigns are really closely following who exactly has voted yet. In fact, if you, you know, hold on to your ballot until the end of the cycle, you're going to get more outreach from campaigns. They're, you know, trying to turn out closer to Election Day folks who have not returned their ballots. And there's a whole kind of game of ballot tracking that takes place throughout the month of October, looking at, you know, different precincts or different areas of the state that are reporting more returns than others, and then trying to correlate that into, okay, what does this mean for both of the parties? So it's kind of extended uh, election season, if you will, through the month of October. And then on the back end, obviously, we have so many people who return their ballots uh, on election day that are counted in the days after November 8th. And so I think you have a like we've seen in recent years, kind of the extension of the election, both back to the beginning of October and then kind of through many weeks into November. You and I have joked about when to vote uh, in past elections. And I sometimes like to vote sort of early just so I don't have to think about it. And I know there have been at least there's one, at least one election I can remember where the person I voted for was no longer on the ballot by the time the election rolled around. How does, uh, you know, does it, it must make campaigning uh, more expensive, right? Because you've got like this whole, it used to be like you could sort of focus on the last couple of weeks, but now you have to really almost as a, as a campaign think about even September when people are starting to get their ballots. Right. I mean, you do have to, yeah, exactly. You have to start that outreach earlier. Um, I was out with, you know, the candidates running for mayor here in San Jose this weekend, and they were doing house parties with many of the people who were there had already cast their ballots one way or another. So you may end up <laughs> uh, messaging the voters who at this point you don't really, really need to be reaching. We do know that, you know, through the adoption of vote by mail, um, there just are fewer and fewer people actually going to a polling place and casting a ballot there on election day. You see people drop their ballot off uh, on that Tuesday. But, you know, in many places, we're down to less than 10 or even 5 percent of people actually voting at the polls. And that actually has transformed how counties run elections in the state. You're seeing more and more counties choose to consolidate polling places, just, you know, save costs that way. They're already having to mail out ballots to everyone, postage paid. And I do think What's gone overlooked in a lot of cases is who gets left behind by those transitions. There are still communities that over or, you know, overrepresentatively vote uh, in person. And I think that's been something that, you know, we've been watching here at KQED is how those transitions overwhelmingly to vote by mail, closing in-person voting locations, you know, how those might affect voters who are still going to the polls, even though that makes up a pretty small percentage of the overall electorate now. And Marisa, you know, going back a decade or more, uh, it was sort of the, the truism was that on the first batch of votes released on election night were going to be more conservative. They were right. going to be Republican. And it's completely flipped now, largely, I think, as a result of Trump saying elections are rigged and, you know, you the voting machines are screwed up and, you know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, 
is interesting. If you think back, actually, even before Trump, California and some more, I I guess you could say Democratic states, had been working to expand voting access, although there's an asterisk to that always because we know that states like Alaska that are typically very red have always had mail-in ballots because they're rural and it's so hard to get to polling stations. And a lot of red counties in California Right, and so historically in California, yeah, what we saw was, yeah, if you went to the northern part of the state, these very, these areas where you have to drive, you know, miles and miles to just get to, to off of your property, essentially, that people there who tended to be more conservative would use mail-in ballots. Um, and I think even before Trump and his election lies, we saw some move on the progressive side. We had seen a kind of... Uh, some inklings of this where you would still see, I think, those counties turn in a lot of absentee ballots. But then also in cities like San Francisco, you had a kind of more wave of progressive ballots. And now that we've gone to all mail in, it's really flipped the script. It's hard to tell. And then, of course, when you add in things like ranked choice voting, it's so difficult. So, you know, I think we're working here at KQED to talk about not election day or election night, but election season. And to say that, you know, votes will begin to be counted on that Tuesday. But that doesn't mean that that's the end of the story. Right. And we saw, for example, in Los Angeles, where on election day in the primary, it looked like Rick Caruso was doing really well. And then as the more and more votes got counted, kind of a little different from what we were just saying, more and more Democratic votes or votes for Karen Bass showed up. And it really was a very different story than it was. And the same was true with the Chesa Boudin recall. It was much closer. College students, young people, you know, I mean, and also we've changed the system so that you have more time, right? I mean, you have to mail it by election day. You used to have to arrive by election day. Um, And so for procrastinators like myself, I will acknowledge that I am often the person like dropping off my ballot to the polling place that I filled out at home kind of thing. Um, You know, I think that it it changes. And and to your point, there there can be compelling reasons to wait to vote, right? I mean, there are still October surprises. There there are indeed. Uh, Joe Fitzgerald Rodriguez, uh, San Francisco has, well, always has sort of a turbulent political climate, I think it's fair to say. Uh, But we have come off now as we head to the November election, uh, we're in the November election, uh, you know, a season where we've had a couple of recall uh, recall elections in the city. The, The DA was recalled, as I just alluded to, three school board members. How do you think that affects sort of, again, this climate as people go to vote in San Francisco? Yeah, I think what a lot of folks are looking towards is how much of the phenomenons we saw earlier this year with the recalls, with the extreme voter anger, with all that sentiment, how much of that was just immediately after some of the pandemic lockdown and just kind of the reverberations of that frustration of lockdown schools, of crime shifting heavily, and how much will we see that reverberate now? Was it like something that is just a spike of anger in the moment, or is that a fundamental shift that'll change how San Francisco votes in the years coming forward. And that's what we're looking for. And we'll get into this a little more later in the hour. But London Breed is not on the ballot literally, but she has a lot at stake, doesn't she? Right. Absolutely. I mean, she has her appointees in District 6, that's Supervisor Matt Dorsey and District Attorney Brooke Jenkins. Very much her policies, very much how she views who should be leading San Francisco is on the ballot right now. And Marisa, uh, you cover a lot of criminal justice issues and certainly... I don't know, a half a year ago or maybe a little more, crime was top of mind for people, a lot of concern. And it still is, to be clear, in some parts of the state. But here in San Francisco, not not as much, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, I mean, I think you have to sort of separate, separate, you know, 
actual violent crime in a city like Oakland where they are just having a, a, not unprecedented, unfortunately, but unprecedented in years murder rate. That is clearly a very important conversation. And there are a lot of conversations in San Francisco still around fentanyl use and overdosing and homelessness. Um, but the sort of viral videos of smash and grabs. And I mean, I feel like really the end of 2021, as we were kind of heading out of the pandemic and, and we were kind of seeing um, the result of the bizarre sort of changes in crime sort of patterns during the pandemic, it had really caught folks' attention. And I, I don't know if it's that people are less concerned about that or just they're more concerned because inflation and other issues like abortion have risen to the top. Um, but certainly you don't seem to see it motivating voters the way it was at the beginning of the year with, for example, here in San Francisco, the Chase Boudin recall, um, you know, in L.A. Like you said, Rick Caruso seemed like that was going to be a, an issue that he could potentially sort of overcome some of the structural challenges of challenging someone more well-known like Bass. $60 million will do that. Yeah, well, that'll help too. But I don't, you know, I don't see that that is a potent enough issue that he can ride to victory on that alone at this point. And a year ago, I might not have said that. Yeah. Uh, and Joe, uh, coming up to a break here, but uh, certainly the DA, uh, you wrote just this weekend about this is it a war on drugs? Sure. Uh, Marisa alluded to fentanyl. Terrible problem here in the city. How do you think people are, are, are thinking of that? And is it factoring in at all to their election choices? Well, we've sure, certainly seen in recent polls, uh, recent as of standard polls, well, a, a, a bit of a shift, right? A somewhat centrist shift towards caring a lot more about uh, what we're charging and that we're charging. But this is also awakening some progressives who are coming out and saying, these are failed policies and we should be wary of them. All right. We're going to talk about some of the details on the ballot, some of the specific races and uh, ballot measures as well with KQD's politics team, Guy Marzarati, Marisa Lagos, Joe Fitzgerald Rodriguez and me, Scott Schaefer. We're going to be, you know, we're kind of taking over forum a little bit, not every day, not every hour, but for four days this week because there's so much to chew over. And that's what we want to do with you Give us a call at 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. Or you can reach us, as always, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We're at KQED Forum. Or you can email us. It's forum at kqed.org. Much more to talk about in this election season. Stay with us. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. Scott Schaefer here with the rest of KQD's politics team, or most of it anyway. Marisa Lagos, Guy Marzarati, and Joe Fitzgerald Rodriguez. We're taking over both hours of Forum today to talk about your ballot, our ballot. 
And in this hour, we're focusing on local and regional elections and ballot measures uh, with you know maybe a sprinkling of statewide things as well. Give us a call. We'd love to hear from you. What are some of the questions you have? What are some measures or races that you're just not sure how to vote, or maybe you don't even understand the question. You're not alone. Give us a call at 866-733-6786. Again, it's 866-733-6786, or reach out on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We're at KQED Forum. Marisa, uh, we are focusing on more on state and regional things, but let's not forget that uh, next Sunday, this coming Sunday, October 23rd, you and I are going to be moderating a debate uh, in the race for governor, which is kind of, you know, a little bit below the radar this year. The governor, Gavin Newsom, of course, survived a big recall um, uh, last year. Now he's running against uh, State Senator Brian Daly. Uh, and, you know, I don't know. It's it's interesting that, uh, you know, in California, these top of the ballot races, I mean, Alex Padilla, does anybody even, can people name who, I, 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 tr- I asked a bunch of my friends yesterday, who's running against Gavin Newsom? And it's kind of surprising how little uh, awareness there is sometimes here in the Bay Area anyway. It's true. I mean, I've in the past two weeks been to most of the state, I guess, from San Francisco south. I've been to the Central Valley. I've been to the Central Coast. I've been in L.A. and San Diego, of course, in the Bay Area. And there are some signs out there for Dally, I'll say. You know, there's definitely some, I think, especially in more rural parts of the state, some excitement about somebody who's talking about issues the way he is. But certainly, I mean, I think the way that Newsom beat that recall, you know, Joe had mentioned earlier, the kind of like anti-incumbent sort of environment that we came out of the um, pandemic with. And I just feel like Newsom really kind of put that to bed with his very strong defeat of the recall. Um, Dally, you know, I think in a lot of ways is a good candidate, but he is not a super well-known person. And, you know, it's it. If you look at the way that the Republican Party has approached this race, it's very different than the recall. We are not seeing a lot of involvement from them, I think. And I think they put all their chips on the recall. Exactly. And that that speaks to the challenge that someone like Daly is going to have winning statewide. But I do encourage folks to, you know, um, tune in on Sunday. It'll be live on KQED and other public radio stations at one. It'll be streaming online at YouTube and elsewhere. Um, It'll be on KQED TV at 6 p.m. And I think that, you know, whether you already think you know who you're voting for, it's really important to hear from these guys and to to make them make the case for what they are going to do and what their visions are. Absolutely. And and in the case of Gavin Newsom, to hold him accountable for some of the problems, not the problems, but some of the commitments he made, the promises he made four years ago, because the state does have a lot of uh, a lot of problems. And no doubt we'll be talking about those on Sunday and you know throughout the week. Again, uh, the number to call if you want to weigh in, give us a ring at 866-733-6786. Guy, um, we talked a little bit about Oakland, a little bit about San Francisco, uh, and we're going to be delving into the mayor's race down in San Jose, which you moderated a debate for last week. But you know, what's the environment down there? I mean, what are the big issues people in the South Bay are talking about? Well, definitely the three big ones in this mayor's race are homelessness, public safety, and housing. I don't think that's a huge surprise, and I don't think that's a whole lot different than what you'd find in Oakland. I will say the biggest difference just in terms of the political environment in the Bay Area, I think, from just two years ago, is the shift on public safety. I mean, in 2020, there was huge support for ballot measures strengthening oversight of law enforcement. in San Jose, in San Francisco, Oakland, Berkeley, all had ballot measures that passed with, I'm talking like 60, 70, in some cases, 80% of the vote. There's not a single ballot measure like that on the ballot in the Bay Area this year. And I do think that speaks to the shift in focus back to from more of a reform mind to, you know, public safety, 
uh, staffing police. I mean, police staffing in San Jose has become a huge issue in the mayor's race, as it has in the Oakland uh, mayoral campaign about, you know, police academies and who voted for police funding. There is still in the background a, an emphasis on alternatives to policing, especially in the Oakland mayor race. There is, you know, the the forum that KQED had uh, that, that our colleague Brian Watt moderated. The candidates were seeming to try to outdo each other about who is going to spend more money on the violence prevention department. That being said, you just don't have the kind of focus on uh, law enforcement oversight, at least on the ballot, that you had in 2020. Interesting. All right, let's go to the phones again, the number to call if you want to join us, 866-733-6786. And we're going to start in Mountain View. And Alex, welcome. Uh, Thank you for taking my call. I had a quick comment and then a question for your guests. Sure. Uh, The quick comment is that the New York Times reported uh, several months ago during the uh, gubernatorial recall election that the uh, Hispanic vote in California basically gave the Democrats a supermajority in the legislature. And, uh, well, currently the Hispanic population is 40 percent of California residents. And that leads to my question. Once the Hispanic uh, population grows uh, to become 50% or more, that is, it actually become a, a majority of the residents. What further impact do your guests think the Hispanic vote will have on California politics? Well, it's interesting. And Mar- Marisa, of course, we always say at the outset, the Latino vote, like the Asian vote, like the white vote and the black vote are not monolithic. They're not homogeneous. Uh, but what are your thoughts about uh, the impact of Latino voters generally? Um, and then in this election? I'll say the 40% figure is not totally accurate because that is like white Hispanic. It, it, it's a little, if you add up the census figures, you also have yeah. white as 70 The electorate's more so. like 20%, right? I think. Right. But in some of these key congressional races, for example, like the one in the Central Valley I just traveled to, I mean, we have a number of majority Latino districts. So absolutely in congressional districts, in certain cities and local races, it's a huge part of the electorate. Um, you know, I want to say, and I always say this, and maybe everyone's sick of it, but no group is a monolith, right? So we can't talk about the Latino vote as if like they're all going to vote for Dems or they're all going to vote for Republicans. What we have seen in recent years, especially in more Southern conservative states, is a real peeling off of a small percentage of especially Latino men, young men, that Republicans have managed to kind of wrestle away from Democrats. We've seen a little bit of that shift in California, but not nearly as much. I think the base here is still a lot more just sort of... Um, sort of what you would think of as traditional, like pro-labor, really associates the Democratic Party with that. But the point is, Republicans can win on the margins if Democrats lose even, you know, 10 percent, 15 percent in some districts of this vote. So it's absolutely important. I think it's going to be incumbent on all parties and, and candidates to really speak to this um, group. However, if you look at polling right now, what Latinos care about is what voters care about. Inflation, economy, gas prices, like these are the issues. It is not as if there's, it, it's not like Latinos are just voting around immigration, for example, right? Yeah. So I think um, it's certainly important. It's a problem for Democrats. It's a, always been a problem for Republicans. We saw a very ugly scene play out behind the scenes, really, in Los Angeles, where some Latino leaders, a labor leader and several members of the city council, uh, one of whom has resigned, uh, were talking in very raw, racist terms about drawing lines to protect, uh, you know, at the expense of black voters in, in Los Angeles to get more power for Latinos. And Joe, we saw some also in San Francisco, some kind of, uh, you know, very heated discussions around redistricting for the supervisorial races. But I'll get to you, Joe, in a second. But Marisa, what impact do you think that has just 
I mean, that was something the country was paying attention yeah. to. What impact does that have on, on anything? I mean, it speaks, and I think Joe will get into it, between some of these really deep divisions. And I think what you have to acknowledge is that the systemic sort of basis of this country built on racial lines is does not mean that just because you elect people of color that suddenly that racism disappears, that suddenly like white supremacy doesn't exist. Um, you know, L.A. has a long history of particularly these tensions. Um, I mean, I think between Latino and Asian groups, but also Asian Americans. And that's something we've seen in San Francisco. Um, I guess personally, as a lifelong Californian and somebody who's watched this from both a political and sort of personal perspective, I just think it's going to take real leadership for us to 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 kind of push past this. And I think part of the problem with redistricting is it becomes a zero sum game. And I I think one way that it is less you're less likely to have these problems is with these independent commissions. I mean, this was a commission, but it was going to be approved by the city council. When you take the city council out of that the way we have on the statewide level for legislative and congressional races, I think you end up with a much more fair and, you know, sort of less opaque process that doesn't result in these type of backroom conversations, hopefully. Yeah. Uh, Joe, in San Francisco, it, the dynamic was really the tension was between the black community and the Asian American community. Right. And, we, and we'd and already seen those tensions uh, uh, rise uh, amid uh, growing crime rates, where and especially where Asian Americans were being targeted in violence. And there are some animus towards the black community around that. And so and from, a lot of skepticism, yeah. I think, from the black community about the way they've been treated by the Asian American community. Completely. Absolutely. I mean, we've seen kind of like flipped situations on the Board of Education, for instance, where we saw different reactions to racist comments by both black and Asian school board commissioners. So when redistricting near the Bayview was happening, there was definitely a lot of tension. Black community saying, you're taking away our voting power. Asian community saying the same. And like Marisa is saying, seen as a zero-sum game. I want to move along, but Guy, uh, you do have a Latina running for mayor in San Jose, Cindy Chavez. Is that an issue at all, her, her you know, Latin culture background? Well, I mean, I do think that getting, I, I think in, in this city, uh, the Latino vote plays a huge role. I just want to um, piggyback, though, on, on the conversation about redistricting. I do think generally, like, our political third eye has been opened up when it comes to state redistricting. All the conversations about gerrymandering on the national level between different state legislatures, There's there was a huge amount of focus on California's redistricting process and having it go through this independent commission that Marisa mentioned. On the local level, I just think there's a lot less attention being paid. And all these stories, whether it's Los Angeles, San Francisco, Oakland, you know, a similar thing played out here in San Jose and Santa Clara County regarding like the political influence on district plans. There just isn't a lot of attention being paid to that, to those processes. And I do think you've ended up with a system where the state has largely fixed itself and found a way to take a lot of politics out of redistricting. And that's just not the case on your city uh, and your county level. All right. Alex, thanks so much for the call. Uh, give out the number one more time. It is 866-733-6786. And let's go back to the phones now. And San Francisco is our next stop. Catherine, welcome. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. Um, my question is about where do I go to find information about the judges. I just don't, I feel like I just don't know who mm. these people are. And I, you know, I really don't want to, 
you know, I, I want to make a good decision, but I'm not quite sure how to do that. That's a really good question. And those down ballot races, uh, not just judges, but sometimes school board members and city uh, college uh, commissioners, those are really below the radar. And in here in, on this statewide ballot, we have uh, some uh, new members of the California Supreme Court who are up for confirmation, we call it. They're not running against anyone. It's just a yes or no kind of a situation. And in most cases, the judges are running also unopposed unless they're being challenged, which is rare. But uh, sure, if you Joe? know, one thing I find really helpful when looking for down ballot race information is you look at the endorsements, and then usually when a group has endorsed a candidate, you can find a candidate questionnaire at that group's website. So if someone has given a judge endorsement or endorsement to some sort of a, a, a down ballot race, look for the questionnaires, and you can find a lot of information in those. And also, the Bar Association does rate judges. You'd be amazed at how often judges are rated not like, uh, what, what was, I, I can't remember the just exact qualified. terminology. Yeah, not qualified. Or just qualified, so, Or barely. just qualified. <laughs> so I think that that is um, an option. But it's hard. And I mean, this is something we've struggled with here as reporters, as people who put out a pretty extensive voter guide. Um, getting a real accurate sort of look at a judge's record is really difficult unless you're going to essentially, I mean, spend time in their courtroom or digging through records. And even then, it's really challenging. Well, and sometimes, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, if I could just add one more thing, too. Just uh, one resource I would recommend is, so we have our voter guide at kqed.org slash voter guide. It does not include all the way down to judicial races, but we have partnered with this group uh, called Voters Edge. And what they provide is those races that we haven't gotten to. So we have a tool. If you go to kqed.org slash voter guide, you can enter your address and then get those information on down ballot races. In a lot of cases, say for say for like you know uh, state court of appeal justices, they'll just list out. Okay, here are my top three priorities in office. Just simple information like that, you could get that through Voters Edge. Yeah, and you know, Marisa, sometimes uh, these issues really come to the fore when there's a big controversy, as there was a few years ago down in Santa Clara County with the judge who, uh, what many thought, he gave a, a lenient sentence to that Stanford swimmer uh, who mm-hmm. was involved in the, in the alleged, in the rape of a, of a student who was unconscious. Um, and, and, and I don't know if, and I probably shouldn't even open up that can of worms, but, it, you know, it, it, as you, to your point that you made earlier, it's hard to judge, make, judge a judge on just one case, isn't it? And these things, these things are complicated. They have to weigh a lot of factors. Absolutely. And I think that that's what really gets to the challenge for this. And, and I think some people, you know, question if, if we should be weighing in on, on judges uh, at all because it's so difficult. Um, and yeah, you, you know, you can't look, I don't think, uh, I don't, I don't want to get into the Stanford case, but in <laughs> it, generally, it is very hard to even look at one case of any judge, whether it's criminal, civil, whatever, and say, oh, this is what kind of you know judge they are. I mean, I, I think we think of this in the sort of framing as like we do in the Supreme Court where – you know, judges, justices at that level have a very long record, and are, it's often been really poured over by a lot of people, and we just don't have that at the local level. Catherine, is that helpful? Yes, thank you so much. All right, good luck, and good good for you. It was wanting to cast a vote that's, uh, you know, informed, so thanks for doing that. All right, let's go back to the phones, and we're going to go up to Vallejo, and Julian, welcome. Yes, hello. Uh, I'm uh, Julian and Vallejo. How are you guys? We, we're KQED members, me and my wife up here. You guys are the best. Oh, thanks so much. I have a question uh, on the ballot. Uh, should I go ahead? Yeah, please. Yeah, yeah. How are you doing? Um, why don't we see a, uh, a, a, a progressive uh, 
gun violence measure on the ballot this year. I appreciate your comment and expertise on that. And why isn't uh, the local in Oakland and San Francisco uh, looking at uh, uh, zero-gun zoning laws hmm. based on the zoning of real estate and, uh, uh, you know, like the zoning residential, industrial, park, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. recreation, mm-hmm. like they did in New York? Okay. Um, um, I'll, I'll take the answer off the air. Okay. Thanks so much for the question, Julian. And, Marisa, of course, uh, the governor and the legislature have enacted uh, numerous gun-related bills uh, this year, last year, uh, going back you know, all the way to Jerry Brown. Uh, and we've seen courts, the Supreme Court most notably, strike down some of these things. Uh, is the ballot box, uh, you know, the best place for these things? I mean, we have passed as voters um, and additionally our legislature what are— largely held up as the most, you know, strict gun control laws in the nation. Um, I mean, if the question is over whether this could have been a motivating issue for Democrats, like, I think that that's a different question. Um, But, you know, we saw just in, what, 2016, um, Prop 64, which was authored by now Governor Gavin Newsom, uh, passed. And then, you know, this year the legislature took up bills, including one um, that didn't get all Democrats on board, but was essentially an answer to the abortion bill out of Texas which is allowing folks to file civil lawsuits against people who have illegal guns, including ghost guns. Um, so, you know, I, I, if we're talking about public safety, that is a whole other conversation. Clearly, our gun laws have made uh, our gun death rates far lower than a lot of places with more extensive access to guns. But we have porous borders. We have not fixed gun uh, violence by any means. And a lot of the challenges we're seeing in cities like Oakland are actually um, around ghost guns and illegal guns and an illicit market that has been really difficult for law enforcement to get its arms around. Comment from one listener, Mitko, who writes, please, please, let's outlaw all propositions. It's become pretty ridiculous. Kind regards, he says. Uh, of course, that would have to be the voters who change that. And uh, I don't. Voters come like on, their Mitko. Prop- we need to eat. <laughs> we need to eat. Yeah, I mean, consultants have to make money. Political consultants. But uh, we have a relatively small number of statewide ballot measures this time around. Nothing like the, you know, the last few years where we've had a lot of hot button issues. But uh, yeah, I think people like it. According to polling, they don't really want to, to curtail their own power as uh, voters. But we're going to get into all that uh, for the rest of the hour uh, with our politics team. Stay with us and give us a call if you would, 866-733-6786 with your election-related questions or comments. Again, it's 866-733-6786 or reach out on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We're at KQED Forum or email us. It's forum at kqed.org. Scott Schaefer here with the politics team and we'll be right back. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. 
Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. And welcome back to Forum. Scott Schaefer, KQD Politics Editor here with the politics team, Guy Marzarati and Joe Fitzgerald-Rodriguez, as well as Marisa Lagos, who will be hosting next hour, I by will. the way. So uh, give us your questions. Send us your thoughts. Give us a ring, 866-733-6786. Again, it's 866-733-6786. A lot of listener comments here. Let me read a couple of them. Um, Kelly writes, can you please talk about how college students living away from home but in California submit their ballots? Do they have to travel home and submit locally or mail them in? Guy? Well, it depends where you're registered. Um, <laughs> but, but there has been an effort. Is it too late to re-register where, you're, where you are? No, you can still re-register, and, and um, in, in California, there have been efforts to start putting more ballot boxes, drop boxes, on college campuses. Um, this, you know, a lot of the uh, competitive congressional districts in the state also contain big uh, UC or Cal State campuses, especially in Orange County. So there have been efforts in recent years to make it easier for, for students on campus to drop off, drop off their ballots in that way. You can still, if even if you miss, and, and this gets overlooked, I think, a lot, even if you miss the registration deadline in California, which is a week from today, you can still uh, register to vote at your polling, at your voting location. It'll be, in many cases, a provisional ballot, so they'll just have to double check to make sure you haven't already cast a ballot elsewhere, but then that ballot eventually will be counted once everything checks out. So. The 24th is the deadline to register a vote if you want to do so online, but it's not the last day. You can still do it after that in person. Meanwhile, if you are a college student and you're not in the county where you're registered and the ballot goes home, can you tell your parents to fill it out for you? Um, I, I don't does <laughs> no, that, cause no, because they have to it. sign it. <laughs> they have to yeah. sign it. So that would not be legal. Okay. Uh, here's another you listener. You can mail it to them. You can I mean, mail it to And it yeah. doesn't have to arrive until what? Three days after election day. Yeah, so you, you got have a lot of leeway. A week. Yeah. Yeah. You got a lot of leeway. All right. Uh, another listener tweet. More stuff came in the mail for props 26, 27, 29, 30. We know. So much conflicting information after looking through them. I'm more confused now than ever about Prop 30. Gavin said no, but the Coalition for Clean Air and the Union for Concerned Scientists are saying yes. I think the others are no votes. <laughs> yeah, it's it's confusing. I want to get into some DA races, but let's just talk quickly about Prop 30. This would uh, tax uh, people earning $2 million or more, 1.75% on top of what they're already paying in income taxes. Money would be used uh, to help implement clean air goals, pay for uh, non-polluting vehicles, and also about 20% of that money would go to fighting fires. And um, obviously firefighters support it, environmentalists support it, the Democratic Party supports it. Gavin Newsom opposes it, along with the Teachers Association and the Republican Party, some strange bed- bedfellows. Guy, what's going on there? <clears throat> well, I think start with the Teachers Association, right? I think it starts with, uh, to go back Follow to another the money. proposition, yeah, Prop 98. So in, in California, we have a guarantee for education spending. And I think probably through the eyes of the teachers union, they're thinking, OK, anytime you're slicing off any more tax revenue and dedicating it to a specific cause other than education, you're taking away from the potential pot of money that could be tapped for schools. Um, that might be a reason the governor or one of the reasons the governor is uh, coming out against this. Also, I think, you know, any governor is going to want to kind of control the destiny of their own tax fortunes when they're in office. And Newsom might look at this as like, OK, we're siphoning off something 
towards investments that he's already been pursuing through the budget. On the other side, I think you have a lot of environmental groups saying, well, that's no reason to oppose this. If the ultimate goal is to build out a clean energy infrastructure, both through you know vehicle rebates and also through chargers, here's a, a way to do that. Here's a way to uh, tax folks that you know the vast majority of Californians will not be tax will not be affected in a way to really up our, our green infrastructure. Yeah. And of course, uh, you know, to your point about the revenue and Newsom's concerns, I mean, we are seeing already that revenues are coming in about $4 billion below projections. So, you know, the good times may be coming to a bit of an end. So, Marisa, that's yeah, maybe another I th- reason. Yeah, I think that's part of it. I think, I mean, I, I, I would guess the governor, it's sort of like a number of things. And some of them you could say, oh, it's cynical politics. But, you know, it's also another tax increase on the wealthy. And politically, if Newsom is looking towards a potential national run, that might be something he's not excited about. Um, and I do think, though, you have to look at the way he's framed a lot of the vetoes he made this year, even on policies that he agreed with, the idea of like early childhood funding, you know, just warning of this potential recession ahead. I think there's a lot of uncertainty among all of us, but particularly the state, which kind of came out in a very weirdly strong position out of COVID. Um, and I think that, you know, if you talk to folks in Sacramento, they're really bracing for what could be in the coming in the next six months. Exactly. All right, let's go back to the phones. And our next stop is San Francisco. And Bill, welcome. Well, hi, uh, Bill here in San Francisco. Love Forum, love Politics Thursday, and appreciate all your hard work. Happy I was wondering Monday. if any of <laughs> happy Monday. Uh, I was wondering if any of you have heard if the Democrats have a plan for Senator Feinstein. <laughs> I was pretty disturbed by that recent article by Jane Mayer. Yeah, in the New York. And she seems the senator seems to be missing in action. Yeah, so Senator Feinstein in action. Yeah, so she is uh, 90 years old. She's been the oldest senator uh, since Strom Thurmond died. Um, She ran for another term in 2018, so she's in office until 2024. And yeah, there is a lot of consternation about uh, how effective she is. Um, You don't hear a lot of Democrats, Marisa, wanting to talk about that because it is a little ghoulish. Uh, But you also have some Democrats lining up people like Adam Schiff, perhaps, and others thinking they're going to run no matter what in 2024. Absolutely. I mean, I think we will see what comes in the next few years. Uh, Dianne Feinstein certainly has not heeded or even really responded to any calls asking her to step down. And um, as as Bill points out, there's been some pretty upsetting reporting from Washington, I think legitimate reporting, questioning you know whether she is really in a position to be one of 100 senators at this point. Um, but she's got that office for another couple of years. And I think, Scott, you're right. It's going to be a um, very interesting. I think the question becomes like, is it a like one of those like remember the uh, the last you know Democratic primary with the presidential debate where there's like 15 people on stage and like everybody who's ever wanted that seat just goes for it or does it get kind of worked out quietly behind closed doors and we don't see as many people I have a feeling it might be the first I agree I mean I think you know we that sort of happened with Kamala Harris where you know the field was cleared for her and I'm not sure everybody that may have left a bad taste in yeah, some people's no. mouths for good reason I mean this is an yeah, entire a very powerful position and we should have I think a real a race for it. Yeah, exactly. All right. Bill, thanks so much for the call. Again, I'll give out the number, which is 866-733-6786. Joe, um, we have in San Francisco um, a race for DA, which was created because of the recall of Chesa Boudin in June. 
uh, Brooke Jenkins, who was appointed to the job by the mayor, is running. Uh, she's got some competition. Sure. Uh, you know, running against her, we have John Amasaki, who was uh, formerly of the police commission, the kind of progressive in the race. Uh, and we have Joe Alioto Veronese, the uh, uh, grandson of the noted mayor and uh, former uh, commissioner himself, fire commissioner and police commissioner and civil rights attorney. And really, there, there there's a definite positioning of John Hamasaki in kind of a, the, a complete opposition to a lot of uh, D.A. Jenkins' policies. Uh, he is trying to say that he is not um, Chesa Boudin, not a repeat of those policies, because, of course, Chesa Boudin was, you know, a bit unpopular towards his, uh, as seen in his recall. But really, when you look at the policy issues, we're seeing that they're on the same page and quite a lot. And he even be to the left of Chesa on yeah, some things. Yeah. I mean, the, the he comes from more of a civil rights background. Chesa was a public defender. I mean, yes, he was a defense attorney, but he was in the criminal courts. I mean, Hamasaki, very, it's not any secret. He has a long history on Twitter of making, you know, t- tweets that are now, ma- many statements. of which are deleted. <laughs> It's still available. I just was looking and I got an email on Friday from uh, Brooke Jenkins campaign. Our opponents are throwing spaghetti at the wall, um, at, you know, repeating baseless attacks. It's like, yeah, you're in politics now. I mean, she was the one throwing <laughs> yeah, yeah. spaghetti at the wall six months ago against yeah. Chesa. You know? But it really has been a flurry of news about Jenkins. I mean, from policies she's announcing that are harsher penalties, some big arrests, dealers, some big arrests. But also folks stepping up to kind of push back against her. Uh, ethics complaints with the FPPC uh, around the money that she took from the recall uh, effort of G.A. Boudin, as well as a recent complaint about uh, some claims she made at a debate, which uh, folks are alleging are completely untrue, that she did, in fact, get charged with some misconduct while practicing law. So there's a lot of heat here. You know, Marisa, these DA races used to be kind of like judges' races, you know, kind of under the radar. Mm-hmm. And, and, and incumbents would just get reelected over and over and over again. And that's really changed in the last few years. We have a, another a pretty hot race for DA with Nancy O'Malley retiring right. uh, over in the in Alameda County as well. Yeah, so this is uh, uh, t- uh, Pamela Price, who did run last time against O'Malley, civil rights attorney, uh, versus Terry Wiley, who's the chief district attorney for Nancy O'Malley. Um, but uh, both of them are black, and I think that that in itself is different. You know, it's interesting that a place like Oakland has so long had uh, Nancy O'Malley as its DA. And I think to your point, we've seen this historically with both sheriffs and DAs. Often incumbents would retire and allow the board of supervisors to kind of handpick their successor. And it's really hard to beat an incumbent. And, you know, we're kind of facing that in San Francisco, different situation. It was a recall, obviously. Um, But I do think you just get that benefit. And, And in these races, again, I mean, it's not quite as under the radar as judges. And I do think that with the kind of conversation happening now, there's more opportunity um, than there probably was 10 years ago for people to actually vet these folks and think deeply about what do they support. I think the challenge is we see that on paper, Californians writ large support criminal justice reform, but they often sort of blame an individual DA or elected official if they don't like the crime that is occurring in their community. Um, and that is not always necessarily a rational uh, connection, but it is sort of the way we've done it. You know, police chiefs don't get elected. Sheriffs do, but are often not paid attention to very much. Um, I do think we've seen a real change in the last decade around the conversation around DAs. Um, and I would argue that, you know, whether you're happy or unhappy with who wins, that's a good thing because this is an incredibly powerful position. And I do think prosecutors need to answer for the way that they, they approach, you know, criminal justice. Here's a comment from a listener, Shannon, who writes, I was a lifelong Democrat and socialist. I've donated to Bernie Sanders and other liberal politicians. I despise Donald Trump and the Trumpsters. 
I'm sure this will surprise you that I'm now voting only for anti-crime politicians. So I'm now gritting my teeth and voting for tough on crime candidates, which means Republicans, too many so-called progressive Democrats, are far too lenient with violent criminals. Violent criminals are out of control. My opinion is stop violent crime by locking up violent criminals and lock them up for life. Wow, that is a pretty harsh uh, point of view. Well, what's what's so stunning to see, I'm looking at the crime data right in front of me right now uh, for the last few years. And obviously, we saw during the pandemic, crime trends sh- shifted incredibly. Uh, Marisa did a lot of great reporting on this. And we saw a lot of crime trends shift because of the pandemic. Now, once things cool off and the crime shifts again, will that be attributed to the DA? Will people just say, oh, obviously, District Attorney Jenkins did that instead of, oh, well, the pandemic has shifted and now crime has shifted again? And also, I mean, let's be clear, the writ large, the criminal justice reforms that California voters have largely embraced are not necessarily about violent criminals. They are about low-level property crimes and drug crimes, and those are obviously can be incredibly disruptive. I'm not, you know... We have all probably in the studio been victims of property crimes in recent years, right? Um, however, I think that there is a bit of a misconception about even what some of the ballot measures and other reforms that did maybe lessen sentences for more serious criminals. Often that is five years being knocked off after someone served three decades in prison. So I think we really do have to look at the broader picture when we talk about violent crime. Policing is a huge part of it. Um we know that people are more likely to think about whether they're immediately going to get caught than what the actual punishment is going to be long term. And I think that um, that is where there is a lot of vulnerability for some of these Democrats who two years ago were talking about, you know, disinvesting in policing. Um, you know, I, I, that doesn't work. You can't you can't shift the money if you're already in a sort of free fall public safety situation. All right. Let's go to a comment from Christopher. And Joe, I'll direct this one to you. He writes, can you please touch on the dueling props on the San Francisco ballot, specifically D&E and INJ? D&E are housing measures, uh, D supported by the mayor, uh, E supported by the Board of Supes. INJ have to do with... Uh, JFK Drive, JFK right? Drive and the Great Highway. Yeah, so you know the interesting thing about DNE you know, of tackling, you know, how, how we streamline housing, how we let housing get built. Do we cut the red tape that is stopping uh, us from unlocking the potential of building more housing in the city? Is that we've got a state mandate coming down. We've got the housing element coming. They want us to build eighty-two thousand units of housing by twenty thirty-one. San Francisco this month has to show them how the heck are we going to do it. What is our plan? So part of how we make that plan are props. D&E, and really which one you are going to vote for comes down to uh, which uh, 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 set of supervisors and political folks you trust. Do you trust the mayor and the kind of more moderate board who say we need to allow more housing for the missing middle and less, maybe less mandate of low-income housing uh, in and streamline completely? Or for Prop E, do you believe the progressive supervisors and go, you know what, maybe we need a little local, local control still? Although, yeah, and Prop D removes the supervisors, right, from many in many cases right. from from approval in, in these uh, some of these projects. Like Prop D, you could kind of view as a more full streamlining, whereas Prop E is leaving a little bit more of that local control. Voters like local control, but the state and the and folks in making the our housing plan are saying, "Wow, you guys have really not built a lot because you stop it with local control." And let's talk about cars in Golden Gate Park and on the Great Highway. 
people in the, during the pandemic, I know I personally loved having JFK Drive closed. <laughs> it was a great place to walk and ride your bike. And but your, you are, <laughs> there are people who disagree with you strongly, and you're probably about to get called by them. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. Like, Go what about it. my car? Hello, Shimon Walton. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Joe, but uh, help us unpack those two measures, I and J. I, I got to say, I lived near Golden Gate Park for 15 years, and I, I love the ability to go out there, too. But, you know, if, if you're voting for Popeye, then you're kind of asking for a return to normal in terms of just having Sundays open on the uh, on, on uh, uh, JFK Drive where and also a return to normal on Great Highway, which could cost us $80 million, which is a heck you, of a... So you're saying, Prop, I would open these back up to car traffic. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And But it would cost us $80 million to uh, uh, suss with the Great Highway and all of the erosion that's happening. It's a lot. Whereas Prop J is going to keep it open, uh, JFK Drive open for p- folks to skate and walk and play. And there's been a lot of enjoyment there. All right, let's go to some reader comments. Uh, Riken or Riken writes, uh, would you please list some genuine nonpartisan voter guides that carry the pros and cons of the various propositions on our November 8th ballot? For example, uh, League of Women Voters, LWV.org, has a good list without pulling or pushing voters one side or the other. Guy Marzorati, I'm thinking kqd.org slash voter guide. There's only one I can recommend. (laughs) kqd.org slash voter guide. Yes, we have uh, not only state propositions, but also local ballot measures uh, you know, for and against uh, explanations and summaries of arguments. Well, and what about, uh, Joe, I'll put this to you. Sure. Uh, what about, you know, we these slate mailers come, you know, and let's say the Democratic Party in San Francisco, mm-hmm. a lot of Democrats in San Francisco, mm-hmm. this is what they recommend. Is that a good guide to go by? I, you know, I mean, if if you look over the years and the trends of how they vote and does it align with how you vote, I say, you know, maybe that's a good way to go. But you have to know that the Democratic Party is slated with folks who are of one particular uh, uh, sway. And right? some of them are paid. So yeah. look carefully because there are slate mailers where they say the Democratic Party endorsed this and the candidate on the front was endorsed. But on the back, somebody paid them to put a ballot measure or another candidate. So look at the fine print for Al- sure. Although what's fascinating this year, you're seeing a lot because these supervisors races in San Francisco aren't really going to shift the balance of power of progressives or moderates. You're not seeing a lot of the big money donors that usually come out come out for the mods. I think that's interesting. Yeah, and we did and see on that on that you know uh, slate card for what it's worth, the Democratic Party here endorsing Prop 30. We talked about that earlier in sure. the hour. G- Gavin Newsom is against that. That's the measure to pay for electric vehicles and firefighting. Uh, that one, uh, I think a lot of voters are going to be looking carefully at that one between now and the election. Well, we are out of time this hour, but. Uh, Fear not. Next hour, mm-hmm. most of us are back. Some of us are back. Marisa will be here in the host chair, and we're going to continue our conversation next hour and for much of next week. So thanks very much to everybody here with us today. Guy Marzarati down in San Jose, Joe Fitzgerald Rodriguez, and Marisa Lagos. I'm Scott Schaefer, KQED Politics Editor. Stick around for more Politics Talk. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way, from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, 
always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. A young correctional officer. He said it was the most dangerous prison in California. Forced to make a choice. Fulfill his oath or back his fellow officers. Recognize the badge of my office. I'm Suki Lewis. From KQED Podcasts comes On Our Watch Season 2, New Folsom. A story about who gets hurt when the system that promises to keep us safe is bent on protecting itself. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts.